This is end game. We'll be okay as long as nothing goes wrong. All right. What do you want me to do? You've already done it. It's a drink. Don't fight it. What are you Just give it up or they're gonna hurt you. Hello, Mr. Garibaldi. Now, tell me what you know. All of it. The captain once told me, the person is expendable, the job is not. We keep going. Garibaldi's got Sheridan in his trap. But who's really in control? This is much, much bigger than you suspect. Walter Koenig is back on an all-new Battle of Five. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Podcast, part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, boy, did you pick an interesting podcast to jump into. But we are a group of Babylon 5 fans that are divided amongst some longtime fans who have watched the show way too many times, and some of our friends who we conned into watching it for the very first time with us week by week to get their first impressions and thoughts. For those of you that have been around for a while, why? And welcome back to another episode of Gray 17, where this week, we're going to talk about the face of the enemy. I'm Blake, and with me is... Emily. Kevin. Justin. Jesse. And Mike. And I believe, Emily, you have a synopsis for us. Yes, I do. After telling Garibaldi about his true plans, Edgars meets his end and Lise goes missing. Bester removes the mental block, allowing Garibaldi to remember what happened to him since his encounter with the Shadow Vessel. And Clark gets his wish with Sheridan getting captured. So speaking of wishes, before we jump into our first impressions, Emily, last week you kind of said you wanted Sheridan to get his ass kicked. So you kind of got that this week in a way. Just it wasn't with Garibaldi. He sort of sat in the corner. But mm -hmm. you almost got what you wanted. Almost. Half credit. Half credit. And I will say that was actually a really cool bar fight scene. So, and the music wasn't complete shit. Last time we had bar music, it was kind of questionable. But um, no, that was actually a really interesting uh, scene they had going on there. And I'm sure we will get into some of the production with that. So let's go ahead and jump into our first impressions. And let's start with Jesse. Holy fucking shit. This shit was fucking nuts. And you know, I'm going to tell you. I enjoyed every second of it. It's one of those episodes that went by way faster than normal. Like, you know, sometimes I get to about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes and I'm like, what, what are we doing here? We could have ended this, you know, 15 minutes ago, but this one was really, really good. It was amazing to see what had happened to Garibaldi after we literally just talked about how disgusted I was with him and how I was tired of trying to stick up for him as is the person that he was before and now him just being a total jackass 
kind of nice to see what actually happened and when it wasn't actually him. And turns out Lisa's not a money hungry, terrible woman. Uh, she didn't know anything about anything. And it, I found it funny that even with all of the altering that Garibaldi had, he still had enough love for her to tell her to get out. So it was, I mean, it was a good time. I enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, I know what you mean about some of those episodes, Jesse. I said this in our group chat last week about the episode, but it was kind of like a 45-minute meeting that really could have been an email. That that was yes. my summary for last week's episode. <laughs> so how about we jump over to Justin, first impressions? Yeah, man. This episode had more spider webs than Dracula's butthole, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, the... what was that phrase? <laughs> this episode had more spider webs than Dracula's butthole. Oh, okay. Uh, all righty then. Well, and there's our butthole reference of the week for there's those the, playing the at-home drinking game. Well, we didn't have one last week, so, you know. Like, with all the conspiracies that are going on, you know, you got, Ed, you got Edgar's and the telepaths. You got Garibaldi and Edgar's. You got Franklin and the telepaths. All sorts of shit's getting weaved in at once, and a lot of shit's getting revealed, so it was pretty epic. I mean, thankfully, Delenn finally shows up after the world's longest trip from Mimbar. So I was glad, you know, glad to see her back. And then Lita on Mars was actually very interesting. I kind of liked that little backstory bit about her. You know, the one question I had about the Bloodhound gangs is, do they actually do it like they do on Discovery Channel? Was I the only person who immediately <laughs> thought about that? And we just discussed this in the last episode. And it, we we just saw it in all of its glory here with Bester, how Bester's only out for Bester's best interest. And like we had just, we spent a little bit of time on that last episode. And then just to see it play out exactly like that here, was kind of a really cool way to kind of wrap up that whole bit of storyline with 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 Garibaldi. I it, it took a little bit of time, but I was glad to see that I was finally proven right with how Garibaldi disappeared from Babylon Five during the Zaha Doom episode. But overall, fantastic job on this one. And I'm hoping we we get into the discussion later, Justin. I know you are also a World War II history buff, so I'm hoping you'll have some uh, commentary later about some of the analogies uh from this episode i'll do my best and emily your first impressions well i didn't hate it because it was an awesome episode and yeah i can't say i felt great about the whole bar fight scene with Sheridan getting his ass kicked but i can't say i was mad about it i've apparently been angry at Sheridan for quite a while now and I felt so bad for Garibaldi. I mean, seriously, like the shadows were like, oh, let's see if we can manipulate him. And then Buster's like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to take over and manipulate him instead. And then Edgar's is all like, hey, I can also manipulate him. So he's just kind of been like run through the ringer. And now he has no safe place to go because ISN just blasted his face and was like, hey, look who turned Sheridan in. And Ivanova's like, he shows up, shoot him on the spot. I don't give a shit, kill him. So I'm really fascinated to see what will happen to him going forward, because right now he's in a really bad position. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he'll be able to work his way out of it. Let's jump over now to our first ones for their first impressions. Mike. Yeah, this is a genuinely enthralling episode. It's it's really probably from from start to finish one of the best paced. I think it really kept you kind of at the edge of your seat the whole time. You know, this is another one that has really won me over as far as keeping my interest with the whole Earth Civil War uh, storyline. Everything about it, the production value was great, the direction was great, the acting was great. You got a lot of nice depth. We'll talk about it more. But you know, the I agree that the scene with Lita was not 
necessarily relevant to the plot of the episode but was still like a really cool moment and probably some of the best material that that character has had to play with in the series to date maybe in the series ever period but all in all it was uh, it was a great one and kevin huge fan of this episode which shouldn't be a surprise because it's directed by michael vahar and I really like the strobes and stills effect, which I'm sure we'll talk about. It was very cool how they did that in three separate places in the episode. Great acting from from Jerry Doyle in this one in particular, I thought. Some good box lightener stuff with the, the bar scene, especially good intensity from Vanova in this one. Very enthralling episode for sure. Really like this one. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's, as you pointed out, Kevin, a... Credit to the director on this one being Mike Vehar. He's directed some of the best episodes in the series. And this one, even JMS commented on that this one was a little bit of an experimental direction in terms of trying new things and visual techniques. And that fight scene, the uh, scene on the Mars shuttle thing, all kind of speak to that. Uh, But also Jerry Doyle. I mean, we mentioned it a little bit before, but just the fact he's sitting there on that tram, not speaking and just staring. But his expressions and... Just the look in his eyes says so much as he's sitting there silently, even when Lise is talking and then he just tells her to leave. Then with Bester sitting across from him, that was just, to me, a phenomenally acted uh, scene with just two actors in a confined space. It really kind of reminded me, there's an episode, uh, Star Trek Enterprise, that has uh, two characters kind of stuck in a shuttle pod. And it's st- that same kind of, you know, you put two characters in that confined space and just let them do their thing. And it it turns out really well when you do it right. And and this, for me, was really, really done well. So I think this is a great one, particularly after last week, which I think we all kind of agree is a much slower episode. So let's go ahead and jump into our discussion. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into our discussion. Kevin. So to piggyback off of what you were saying just now, Blake, I think it's really cool to know that, first off, they didn't script Garibaldi's reaction once he is able to get out of his his brainwashed trance it just said garibaldi reacts and so they kind of left it to jerry doyle to decide how he was going to do that and so it was his idea to slam his head against the wall and you know have kind of the yell you know and his facial expressions of course and you know they had a couple of guys in that in that set of the tram you know crammed in there with Walter Koenig and then just Jerry Doyle at the end and they couldn't see or talk to each other so they had to count and do some other things but the the strobe effect with the stills was used in this scene and I thought I thought it was a really cool visual effect how they did that it's a cool practical effect without having any sort of computer enhancement or anything and they didn't use freeze frames they you they used a still photographer uh, david foster was the photographer he did the promotional shots actually that they sent out to the tv stations yeah uh, so that's who they had doing the still photography that they cut in yeah this uh you know and they use that three places in the episode they use it for the crime scene at the end they use it here and they used it for the the bar scene as they're trying to do the effect of uh, tranquilizer on Sheridan. So very cool way they did this. Mike? Yeah, just to to make a, a remark about the general style of the episode, you guys talked a lot about the visual style being really cool and kind of dynamic with that kind of trademark Michael Vehar experimentalism. We've got the, the different unusual shots, different angles, a lot of things shot almost up from the floor or from the window back into the bar and that kind of stuff. 
the thing that really struck me with this episode was that during that bar scene was the song. The fact that it was kind of this dark environment, this action sequence with a lot of rapid cutting, and then this kind of rock and roll melodic song, which I really meant to try to go look up what that was just because I'm curious. It's a good song. It was a decent song, and it wasn't something that I had ever heard of before. And I think that's kind of interesting because what it made me think of was wow, this feels really contemporary. I remember not that long ago, you know, there was kind of a, a time frame where a lot of the shows that I liked watching, like uh, I want to say it was a time frame when there was like uh, Stargate Universe and Being Human and some of those other ones where you, you saw this kind of repeated pattern of a really dramatic action sequence kind of slowed down and interweaved with a song that wasn't, you know, your ACDC pop rock chart topper thing it was like something that you were meant to not be familiar with something that was meant to be a bit on the edgy side and so like just overall it gave me the feeling that like wow this is really this feels much more contemporary than it that it was well and you mentioned the song mike and that's the one thing is it's not actually a song that was out there the composer for the series christopher frankie did mm-hmm. all of the music so it's one he put together um and this is one of the episodes they did a series of soundtrack discs for different episodes and they released them this is one of the episodes that they released a soundtrack disc for uh, that has all of the music that he wrote for this episode on it Uh, it's available on amazon i don't think they have them on apple music though but it is available i believe on amazon yeah, well, kudos to them, because as somebody else already said, you know, the, some of the, the the last bar music scene we got was somewhat cringy. It fooled me. It fooled me into thinking that this was like a real song from a produced album by a real artist. Yep. You know, like, mm-hmm. not to say that the guy that, that wrote it and recorded obviously had talent, so he's a real artist. The cool thing is they brought it in on tape and they played it while they filmed the scene. So they actually had it on while they were they were doing the filming on set so that Boxleitner in particular could hear it. Justin. I just want to jump in with a hot take because from hearing everybody's descriptions, I think I'm the only one, to be honest, I didn't really care for this bar fight scene at all. And I think part of it has to do with, I guess I'm just getting really tired of all the messianic shit surrounding Sheridan. Like you at the beginning of the episode, you had the reference that Garibaldi makes about, well, the last guy got 30 pieces of silver. And Mm -hmm. then to me, this whole bar scene just felt like the Garden of Gethsemane or whatever it's called. And to me, it just kind of it just the continuing thing with this messianic trope around Sheridan is really getting tiring for me. So I guess it kind of took away from now I, I get hearing everybody talk. I get kind of the cool why people liked it thought the kind of the cool aspect was just as sharon was getting his ass kicked garibaldi's just sitting there watching it thing like that and kind of the the play of light and shadow and all that stuff but it took away the enjoyment of that scene because i'm like okay here we go here's another christ comparison that was just my hot take on it like i didn't really care for that whole scene at all well i think it's interesting you bring up gethsemane this whole series there's been foreshadowing and everything throughout and we had that episode a while back uh, passing mm-hmm. through Gethsemane that had brother Edward and brother Theo. And, and the conversation was knowing it was a trap, would I have been able to go? Yeah. And that was a conversation that uh, the brother, the monk had with the Sheridan. And then we now get this moment where Sheridan had to have had in the back of his mind that this could have been a trap. And the question is, do you still go? Yeah. And I'm not trying to change your mind, Justin. I just want to point out that, you know, that the one of the main reasons they, they filmed it that way was 
to be able to show Garibaldi's reaction during a lot of that. That's that's to show the level to which he had kind of disconnected from the man that he is or was before this all happened. And and then, you know, as soon as you realize in the episode what is truly behind it, it makes it all the more heartbreaking. But I'm a huge fan of that reference at the beginning of the episode about the 30 pieces of silver, not for the messianic reference necessarily, but because he understood how much of a betrayal it was. And it just shows you the level to which Garibaldi had been messed with, that he was willing to do that at all. And Jerry Doyle was a huge fan of that line, too, because he said, as an actor, I barely had to do anything. I just had to deliver the line, and the line did the acting for me. Yeah, and I'm not harping on the, the any of the technical aspects or anything like that. It was just, to me, and you just kind of fit in that theme with it, just kind of detracted from it for me. I get, yeah, all the all the technical aspects are cool, and the way they shot it was cool. It's just the fact that it was even there and just the... I don't know, just the way it all came down, just it was just eh. But I know it's everybody's gonna have their own opinion on it. And oh, absolutely. Tis tis what it is. Um, I'll I'll even agree that for all the technical aspects and things that I liked about it, it went on it felt like it went on a bit long. There were times I when I when there. I was questioning what was even happening. <laughs> it's actually because JMS that got pointed out to him too. And I I see Emily, you're you're wanting to jump in and I'll catch you in just a second. JMS commented on the length of the fight scene. For those that have had the ability to read his biography, he actually got jumped. He was mugged in Los Angeles and he was talking about the length of the fight scene. And he said, there's this TV cliche that fights are over in a second, but ask anyone who's ever been in a real knockdown drag out fight, it goes on a heck of a lot longer than showed here. When I got mugged, it went on for at least 10 minutes. So that was JMS's comment on the length of the fight scene was they didn't want to use that cliche of a, of a 30 second one punch and over type fight. Or what may have been a very quick fight can feel like an eternity when you're yeah. in it. Yeah, you know, I get it. Emily. Aside from the technical aspects, I think one of the things I appreciate about the scene is Garibaldi puts a tranquilizer on him and he's trying to fight back. And you know he's been altered somehow by Lorian, but we don't know how much that could impact him being tranquilized. So as he's like trying to fight the tranquilizer, I was thinking, I'm like, don't tell me this is going to be like some weird bullshit where he's it's not going to affect him and he's going to get out of this. Because he went to Zaha Doom, he came back. We've seen these, he gets in the shit situation and he gets out of it. And now he's in a real shit situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like he doesn't, for, he doesn't have Fast and Furious armor. So for like a second or two, <laughs> I was watching him like, is he actually going to somehow escape this situation? And I was actually happy to see that. No, he doesn't. Because we've seen, to me, like I've already seen it. I don't want to see it again. I want to see like something different. And also, I'm still angry at him, so. (laughs) So there's a lot to dive into with this episode. We've got Edgar's and his conspiracy and plan for telepaths. We've got Sheridan and now Ivanova's continued march towards Earth. And we also have Franklin back on Mars with number one, who was not exactly thrilled to see him. So where do we want to start first, folks? I was going to bring up Edgar's. Well, Emily, go right ahead. When Edgars is explaining his entire plan to Garibaldi, there was like a couple seconds where it almost seems like he was getting choked up about what the plan's actually going to do. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, is that he's just struggling to swallow because he's taking a drink? Or is there actually a part of him that almost feels bad because he knows what he's doing is 
unethical. It is wrong. It is harmful. It is cruel. It is attempting genocide of sorts. And then when we know Lise goes missing and her husband had run off with their child, I was like, is she, does she have some like latent telepathic skills like Ivanova does that he knows about and he knows she's at risk? Justin. I kind of had the same thoughts that you did, Emily, because like when he was sitting there, especially towards the end, yes. where it looked like he was getting kind of emotional and mm-hmm. you can kind of maybe question if he, if having this moment of, I know what I'm doing is horrible, but he doesn't feel like he has any other choice. You know, yeah, you can build a little bit of sympathy for that, but genocide's still genocide, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, regardless of your intentions, regardless of who you think you're saving, you're willing to wipe out a potentially entire group of people. And yeah, it's nice that you have a little bit of guilt surrounding that. But at the same time, I don't, I don't feel any kind of sympathy for him whatsoever. It just made me wonder if there's someone he actually cares about that's going to be harmed by what he's doing. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's probably a lot of people he knows that aren't going to survive this. But at the same time, it's that whole you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs type mentality. Yeah. That to him justifies that he knows he's going to hurt a lot of people because he even said he started his companies to help people, not hurt people. He never wanted to mm-hmm. hurt people. But to him, this is just he he doesn't see in his own mind. He doesn't see any other path forward, but it still doesn't excuse anything. He's still a monster. Um, but just did you pick up on how we re- how he even referred to it as with as the telepath problem? It, yeah, it had very final solution esque yeah mm-hmm. um, feelings to it, and I think that's what caught him because that's when he started to break down because he knew what he was doing, but he was still going to go through with it. And to me, kind of watching that entire scene, there was another very popular show on during that same time frame that dealt with a lot of the same issues, and it was the X Men animated series. That whole mm-hmm. conversation especially when Wade's involved and talking about homo superior versus homo sapien, like exact same words, exact same arguments used in this scene. That's kind of the whole plot of, of, of X-Men. And it was like, okay, so is Bester Magneto. So like, it was kind of very interesting to kind of see that whole thing played out. And I I was wondering if there's any kind of like feedback or any discussion on the Usenets or anything about the comparisons of how similar that whole scene was to the same kind of things that are dealt with in the X-Men series, which was at its peak of its popularity by the time that this show aired. There wasn't anything directly in the Usenets, but given the role that JMS played in comic writing, yeah, um, and I don't recall off the top of my head if X-Men was ever one he worked on. I know he worked on Spider-Man and a few others, but I don't think he ever did X-Men. But he was definitely in that universe. Right, and definitely yeah, I mean, had that basis. Because he was he was writing for Marvel at the time, yeah. I believe. So yeah, I mean, and his I think if I remember correctly, a lot of his his experience into the realm of animation was probably earlier, the earlier eighties, and then he'd moved on to comics. But there's there's no way he wasn't there. right. I mean, X Men. Well, I'm not saying his, he's trying to rip course, anybody off. It he's was a just, comic book just... nerd at his core. Yeah, yeah, it was just 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 the similarities were fascinating because the exact same argument. And it's the exact same argument that we've had at any time, regardless of you when you discuss your, you know, if you hear discussions about the future of the human race, and when you hear discussions in the past about Wade was perfectly right about how the how Homo sapiens wiped out the Neanderthals and stuff like that. Like his his discussion about human evolution isn't wrong. It was just very interesting about how that whole kind of came about. And now 
now you have the superior group of humanity. Well, then what's the next Darwinian step? Eliminate the ones below. And they're acting almost like, yeah, they're they're going on the offensive. They're taking these steps, but they're treating it like an like an act of defense. And it's just it's just really like that whole discussion was just a really fascinating scene. And then it's Jesus Garibaldi. Like it was like then he pops out his tooth and it's like the whole thing was like an undercover off the whole time. And it's like, Jesus, I didn't see that coming. I was like sat there. I started screaming at my TV like I did not see that part coming about how it was all just a, a plant. Just an undercover ruse. Kevin? I had the same thoughts you did, Justin, about the X-Men parallels, and I I certainly agree with them. The only thing I will say in in this sense is, unlike other horrible men in in the past, Psychor definitely is a threat. Now, is this this justified? No, absolutely not. But Psychor is a huge threat, so he's not 100% unjustified for seeing the threat and wanting to do something about it, but... Certainly his uh, attempted genocide is an absolutely unconscionable act. The only thought I had was besides assuming, I hope, that he had enough quantity of the the antidote on a regular schedule so that he could actually fulfill the plan that he had. my, My next thought is... So how are you going to unveil this two-week antidote where it doesn't seem like you engineered it to make you a humongous target? Because if they have any inkling that you're behind the whole thing, I mean, you're going to be dead in two seconds. You said if they had any inkling of it up until this point, you would have been dead. So how are you going to go about bringing that to fruition unless your entire goal really is to eliminate every single telepath and that you have no intention whatsoever of temporarily curing them every two weeks. Well, I think some of that, they've already had the cover story in place because how how much have they talked about a virus that affects telepaths that they've been working on a cure for? They just left out the part that they made the virus to go gotcha. with the cure. Okay. So then he's more of a, he's seen as a hero because he's got a, a treatment we'll, we'll say for the the virus that he's hoping no one ever fi- figures out is uh, from his company in the first place. He's just got to hope people take the vaccine and don't think, you know, that it puts radio signals into them or some other <laughs> fun nonsense. Oh, yeah. Well, my- you know, my microchip's <laughs> doing just fine. Hey, my cell reception's never been better since I got the vaccine. <laughs> Mike. Uh, well, I guess Eggers' whole MO, though, really isn't isn't necessarily about being a, a shadow conspirator, having his not having his name out there, but it is about being out of the public eye. Everybody knows who he is and what company he runs, but they don't know where to find him and they don't know what he looks like. So I guess to some extent, maybe that is his shield against uh, reprisal is my thing to Kevin's point. Um, I did want to segue real quick, just because we were talking about the animation a minute ago and I'm just browsing IMDb and I thought something was kind of funny. I, I don't know if we've really talked about the actor uh, who plays Eggers uh, on any previous episodes yet, have we? We've discussed that he's Alfred. Yeah, okay. We talked just, about him a little bit last just, Yeah, I was, okay, fair enough. That I We don't need to beat it to death, but I just thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, he is Alfred Pennyworth and yep. the original Batman not mm-hmm. to, and Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man. Like, right. We didn't mention that. Justin? Well, just one thing I wanted to kind of mention to Kevin's point was it's also it's it's not like they're going to crack the vial and then all of a sudden every single telepath's got the virus. It's airborne, so it's going to take a while to spread. Right. Right. And so by the time it starts to actually spread and 
they have to know like what's the amount of people we're going to let die before we unveil this miracle cure and then blake also hit it on the head they have already been talking about it so it's not going to be like a big shock then all of a sudden it's like hey we've got a cure hooray us so that was all that was all i was going to say about that so anything else on Mr. Edgars, or do we want to jump into talking about the reprogramming of Mr. Garibaldi? Let's go ahead and jump there. And as a starter, uh, there was, so after Bester starts explaining to him what happened, uh, anyone catch who one of the other uh, Psychops was played by in the, in the scene where Bester's talking about erasing him? Yes, sir. None other than Harlan Ellison himself. Mm-hmm. No kidding! Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, the older of the two, the gray-haired one, was Harlan. Yeah. Ellison. Oh, it's funny. I'm familiar it with it... his work. I'm not really familiar with his face. As what's much. What's funny is it didn't click to me either when I watched it. In fact, when I saw the guy, I was like, he looks and sounds really familiar, and I thought it was the the older doctor, Doctor Bob from Scrubs, who we'd seen previously as an Earth Force <laughs> captain. And I was like, I was like, did they seriously cast the same guy in two different roles? Like, it's not uncommon to cast the same actor in two different roles, even in this show. <laughs> but I thought, wow, that's pretty, pretty bold to put them that close together and both without makeup. But then I looked it up. And I'm like, holy shit, that was Harlan Ellison. That's <laughs> yeah, because him and JMS became friends. He, JMS met him when he was in college studying writing, and the two became friends. Uh, to the point, Straczynski became the administrator of the Harlan Ellison estate and all of the uh, collected works and library of Ellison. Uh, so he actually brought Harlan in on B5 as a consultant at one point. That's I think he was credited in this one as conceptual consultant for Harlan Ellison. Who had thought two cranky old bastards with similar interests would be friends? <laughs> well, it's funny. There's a story in JMS's book about JMS is very socially awkward. He does not do socializing well. And there was a uh, thing where Harlan Ellison basically told him, I like you, but God damn, I hate having you at my table. <laughs> so surely some of you have to have thoughts on Mr. Garibaldi. Oh, Justin, I see you ready to go. Yeah, it's honestly, the whole thing was a lot more like the whole explanation was because when like Bester walks in, sits down, I'm like, oh, OK, here we go. This is going to be like when the when the supervillain and Bond movie explains his entire plan. I'm like, OK. Here we go. This is going to be fun. It was actually Edit. a lot more in depth than I thought it was going to be. Um, he went through like a step by step detail on how you brainwash a human. And the fact that like the shadows captured him because that whole kind of plan that they had about how the shadows were going to capture Garibaldi, turn because they were just afraid of him as they were of Sheridan, turn him into their side, and then just off to Len and Ivanova. The only part that I about the whole thing that I don't really get is well, Besser said he was able to intervene. But he didn't really go into detail about how he was able to intervene or be like, oh, you know what? No, we know you have your plan, Shadows. We're going to go ahead and we're going to take it from here. And so then at that point, it made perfect sense what Bester wanted to do, being like he's already a paranoid asshole. Mm -hmm. We're just going to make him more of a paranoid asshole and just set him loose and have to correct him a little bit, and just kind of point him in the right direction and and go. And it was it was actually pretty fascinating on how Bester kind of put up this whole plan into motion. And then the fact that he had Garibaldi so brainwashed that he was frozen in place the entire time Bester was there because you know Nichols the nuts. Bester was not going to put himself in a position where Garibaldi would be able to get his hands on him. So that was another brilliant stroke by Bester. Emily? Yeah, I found Bester's explanation kind of fascinating, especially when he was explaining that we didn't really do a whole lot overall. We just took his natural personality and heightened it. 
<laughs> so he's more suspicious, more likely to follow leads. Like, I was like, wow, that that didn't take as much work probably as they thought they were going to have to do. And, and naturally uh, rebellious against authority. And that by yeah. doing that, it like Buster's plan overall worked out, but still didn't go how he expected it to go because Garibaldi quit. And Buster was like, I didn't see that one coming, but it worked out. <laughs> like, man, you guys kind of got lucky there. It would have been interesting to know how they would have manipulated things differently had Garibaldi not quit and not been contacted by Edgar's to be in the position to get the information from Edgar's that Buster can then use. Because mm -hmm. I'm assuming it was Psychor that offed him and Wayne. My guess is that he wasn't the only asset. I mean, he even kind of makes yeah. sense of that. Wasn't a an all or nothing prospect where if it hadn't worked out that they would get absolutely nothing. But yeah, it is an interesting spider web that that worked out well. surprisingly well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's I think the way they did it too, with just taking those natural things that they said, his conspiratorial nature, his rebellious streak, his opposition to authority figures and heightening those they did a complete new personality think back to talia it was a night and day personality difference between mm -hmm. the program talia personality and the complete raging bitch that the yeah. once that was turned off had they done a complete rewrite of garibaldi i think the others would have noticed it and i think that even got alluded to in this that keeping it in heightening what he was yeah everybody thought he was an asshole but like yeah okay this is just garibaldi going like to the extreme of being garibaldi Mm -hmm. And didn't flag enough that anybody, I think the closest, I think Zach, the way they've played that, I think Zach had a sense that something was wrong. And you could tell that in some of Zach's interactions. But I think pretty much the rest of the staff was like, he's just being a fucking asshole. Well, Zach even flat out confronted him at one point about it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's wrong with you? What the hell's wrong with you? What's gotten into you? And Emily actually made me think of uh, one of my favorite lines from Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight. Madness is a lot like gravity. All takes is a little push. And that's exactly what they did with him. Jesse. <laughs> I find it interesting that they just cut him loose. Like when he was all done and he's like, I could kill you right now. Um, and then he's like, but I'm just going to let you go and let you go back to who you were and let you return to everything being normal. Except now it's not because you done fucked over all your friends and pissed everybody off. I guess the chaos that would ensue after cutting him loose would be interesting to Bester. But I also see value investor just shooting him right there and being done with it so it was surprising to me that you know when he was talking about i could just shoot you now there's different options i did not expect one of the options to be okay just i'm gonna click my fingers and you're gonna walk away and everything's gonna be normal again that was actually a surprise to me i mean a pleasant surprise and ivanova's reaction to him of shoot him on sight I kind of giggled because I'm like, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's an appropriate mm -hmm. response to somebody setting up one of his longtime confidants and friends. And but it was it, it was definitely interesting. Well, and we heard the comparison earlier where they mentioned the Bond villain doing the big exposition of their plan to 007. How many of them could have got away with it if they just would have fucking shot him to start with? Yep. But no, they just have to let him keep going. Emily. I agree with Jesse. I found it fascinating that Buster was like, here's your memories. Toodaloo. Right. <laughs> <Not a block. laughs> like, peace out. Because yeah, I actually did think someone I actually expected Edgar's to take out Garibaldi after revealing the entire plan. I kind of figured that was in Edgar's timeline to at some point kill him. 
because he knows everything. And one of the other things I was thinking about is when Buster just heightened Garibaldi's like natural inclinations to question things. And Garibaldi had already been on the outs with Sheridan before over the whole Morden incident. He was like, you're stepping over the line. I am done. I am quitting. You get your shit together and I'll come back. So then when he quit again, I think everyone was probably like, oh, he's done this once before. It's just Garibaldi being Garibaldi and he's just upset with Sheridan for whatever this time. And yeah, that was a brilliant move for them for Buster to just be like, eh, he's already naturally rebellious. Let's just dial it up a few notches. See what it does. Justin. To me, it actually made perfect sense that Buster would just let him go. Because Garibaldi was a pain in the ass to Buster for quite a few times. And I think, to me, this is Buster's act of revenge. Right. He's like, I used you, and I don't need you anymore. And I'm going to turn you loose on the universe and just revel in whatever bad things happen to you. Because you were a pain in my ass for so long and treated me like shit so here you go here's your just desserts michael garibaldi good luck and right. i think it was definitely it was it was an act of sweet revenge on bester's part just to turn him loose and because killing him would be too easy mm -hmm. this is an act of torture that he's committing yeah. on garibaldi by just turning him loose you, you nailed it, it it's yeah. not it wasn't it wasn't mercy it was act, absolutely vindictiveness and i mean i don't remember if this scene came before or after talia's little backstory diatribe about I think it was after, and it would make total sense because Polly is explaining how, you know, in her story, they tracked down the murderer and killing oh, him would have been Lita. too easy. Or sorry, damn it. You... Telepath 2. Yeah, you planted that in my brain by accident. Uh, uh, <laughs> Lita's story too. about, uh, you know, being being a bloodhound and tracking down the murderer and how they didn't kill him because that would be too easy. Instead, they left them a tortured soul and that's exactly what bester just did to garibaldi so i think it, it makes total sense why he did that and it's also the torture of you're gonna try in vain to try and convince your friends that you didn't betray them mm -hmm. and they're not gonna believe you and they're not yeah. gonna believe you and that's gonna be even more sweet revenge for bester because yeah they to what i said they wouldn't even take his call ivanova's response was i have nothing i want to say to him shoot some shoot him yeah right and I think that's exactly my first comment about I can see why the chaos would benefit Besser because he'll get real solid joy out of watching the consequences of his actions, but allowing somebody else to take the credit for all of the shit that happened. I can absolutely see why that would be the best option for him. But I, you know, I honestly expected there to be other options. I don't know what they were, but it, it, there were two. And the second absolutely makes sense. It was just, I think it was surprising to me because I wasn't thinking along those lines of, oh yeah, no, this totally is Bester in a nutshell. Justin. Just kind of a speak on Jerry Doyle's acting during this kind of sequence of events, because when Lise came down and found him on the tram and he was just sitting there with that look on his face, just sitting there looking down, not even really responding to her. I thought maybe he was going to go and kill Edgars himself because he just had that look on his face as someone who's thinking he's about to do something very bad. And it was just chilling just watching him just staring down, not responding, telling her to get out, go home. And I was like, oh, he's about to go tear Edgars up. <laughs> and he didn't even have to because Psychor got there first. Doyle was fantastic in this episode. Probably one of my favorite acting jobs of this entire of this. He entire really movie. was. He was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Mike? Yeah, you know, and the 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 last thing I'll say about this this subject is uh, that that Bester and Psychor have they've done a full 
psychological workup on Garibaldi. They know Garibaldi better than Garibaldi knows you by the time they choose to to use him as their instrument of destruction. And so the other thing that they know about him is that he's a man who's not led the most stable life and has a lot of demons in his closet. And we kind of see that's the final shot of Garibaldi, isn't it? Going to have a, a sip of alcohol, which we know has been his Achilles heel uh, from previous episodes. So they they can probably reasonably assume that he's going to, as Kevin said, you know, go out and try to make amends in vain. He's going to torture himself over the things that he's done himself, and then he's going to self-destruct. Anything else on Mr. Garibaldi? I just feel really bad for him. So I have a question. So after having seen, at least to this point in this storyline, and I know there's been some trepidation about this particular storyline, how are your thoughts on overall arc up until this point? Like the I show was... in general? No, I mean just this Garibaldi piece for this this season. Like, do you, do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you wish it had been shorter? Do you like how how, how the length was? How are your thoughts on it? Because we we talked about it a couple of times where people really didn't like this storyline. Now that you've seen to some fruition, how do you feel about it? I think it definitely makes sense now. And I it, I mean, clearly it was well-written and well-acted out because it did exactly what I think they wanted it to do and like piss people off. This is a character that I thoroughly, deeply enjoyed up until he started to act like an asshole. And clearly that's what they were going for. They were going for a total rewrite of his his character and who he was to the people that he was close with and friends with before allies with before and watching it be the explanation of why he's been acting like that really there was some closure there because you don't want to believe that he I think I just said it when we recorded the last episode is I'm tired I'm I'm getting Londo vibes John and Londo vibes where he continues to stick up for a character that he enjoys but you can clearly see as an asshole and so watching Garibaldi and how he has like morphed into this terrible fucking person that was so terrible that he's willing to like rat out one of his best friends. It was hard to watch. And I definitely think that they did exactly what they were going for because I was starting to believe that that was just his permanent his permanent person, like his permanent character. So it's nice, it's nice to see that it wasn't him which we've been saying for a while, like he's been altered, there's something going on, but it's nice to, I guess, have the confirmation that he actually was all altered. Emily? I'm with Jesse. It was nice to see that the increased suspicion, hostility, and everything was a result of interference by Shadow Psychor. And the interesting part about it, I still don't think he was wrong overall about Sheridan and no one questioning Sheridan when he came back. It is interesting how that played out and I just I feel really bad for him because at this point I don't see a situation in which he won't be in danger permanently because I don't know that anyone's really because what he did was still so close to who he was except the betrayal of telling Edgar's how to get Sheridan's dad I'm not sure anyone will ever fully believe him that that wasn't him wanting to do any of that or even knowingly because Buster talked about his actual personality being locked out and trying to get out and couldn't. I feel bad for him, but overall, the explanation has worked. Justin? Overall, it's very satisfying. Like, you saw him when he got picked up earlier in the season, and 
like Jesse had made the comment exactly too. Like we all knew that he was re, you know, reprogrammed. We all knew he was not a willing participant in what was going on. But just to see kind of how it all gets wrapped up, and even though it's a very dirty bow, it's still a neat little bow on how it's all tied up and tied together. And now there's the vast cloudiness of what happens to Garibaldi from here. We kind of had an idea of where Garibaldi was going this season. Well, now we don't know. Anything can happen. So it's it's kind of opened up a whole new uh, a whole new door of you know what's going to happen with Garibaldi and. What is his life going to be like now that he can't go back to B5? He can't go to Earth. He's His whole life is ruined. Yeah, I think the piece with uh, David Sheridan and, you know, Garibaldi using that to the advantage of the plan is might be the worst part of the whole thing mm-hmm. and is going to possibly have some lasting. It's just, it's monstrous. It's absolutely monstrous. But to know that Garibaldi, the real Garibaldi, probably never would have done that, or certainly never, not certainly not to Sheridan. It's it's just it's yeah, it's awful for no question. Jesse, I don't know, just something that Justin just said that he can't go back to Earth. I I think I disagree there. I think he can go back to Earth, mm-hmm. and I think especially since the ISN is you know making him out to be this hero. I, I do right, think you're that, right. You're right. Yeah, I, I, I do think that, that he would he would have a a place back on earth if that's where he wanted to go but i'll save that for my um my predictions at the end i was wondering if he would be able to go back to earth because he was at the crime scene where edgar's was murdered and he touched things so as they do their investigation is he going to be linked to their murder and not only is he going to be flagged as handing over sheridan he's also now going to be connected with the killing of what four people no, they're, well, and the thing is, they even said on the ISN broadcast, they don't want to pin that on Garibaldi. They mentioned that they suspected the Mars resistance. Yeah. That was in the ISN broadcast. They would get more value pinning it on the Mars resistance mm-hmm. than they would Garibaldi, who they just hailed as a hero for turning in Sheridan. Oh, oh they straight up swept that shit under the rug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but if anyone connects him to it, and I feel like it still puts him in a precarious situation, because if anyone else gets a hold of that info, that's not supporting Earth. Oh, he's fucked with that crowd anyway. They wouldn't need it. Yeah, it's just one more thing to add to his list. They're going to shoot him before they ever get to that part. So speaking of the forces not supporting Earth, we do see the start of this episode has Sheridan's fleet is growing. He's been picking up more ships, including his old command, the Agamemnon. I'm so, so excited to see that. I'm the only one that thought that was really suspicious when they just showed up and were like, "Oh, hey, guys!" A little I bit. Did for a I was second. like, "Do we really implicitly trust these people just because they were your crew once? Doesn't mean they still like you." And I guess they never really liked him because they even said it was a pain in the ass to deal with, but they were loyal to him. <laughs> well, they, I mean, they weren't they wrong there. To, they decided <laughs> to jump ship as soon as they could. Well, and they even said, you know, they had their doubts, but once the illegal orders started coming in, yeah, they kind of figured it out. Yeah. No, having the Aggie back in the fight is going to be fun to watch. Any other thoughts on the amassing fleet? Then they also caught into why some of these ships aren't wanting to surrender. Caught in there, there was the whole discussion around if you surrender or you get captured, your crews are executed and replaced with Mimbari. Because it's still this whole anti-alien conversation, right? And Sheridan even said when he had Ivanova come in, because she asked, would you rather have Delin come lead the fleet? And it's no, it needs to be human commanders. And holy hell, like that tactic is is old as war itself. Yep. 
spreading propaganda about the actions yeah. of what your enemies do. We're seeing it right now between Russia and Ukraine. One thing's for sure. I would not want to be on the receiving end of Ivanova in, in the, this particular mood of hers because uh, she's out for blood. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not that I blame her. When she gets pissed, something's going to go boom. Yeah. She yeah. even said, boom today, boom tomorrow. But just from the propaganda aspects of it, what is it, Captain Frank, who has thought, oh, you're just going to execute all of us like you have all the others. So that when Mackie starts talking, he was like shocked. Like, Mackie, they told us you were dead. You know, so yeah. just to the, so everyone, <laughs> how they wrapped all their little propaganda, momaganda, little goslings, and yeah, they let's... put out their little story and everybody and it's how they explain everything is oh well you're not hearing from these people anymore because they got captured and executed not these ships are defecting they spun it as well they're getting caught and executed so that's why you don't see them around anymore and that's why we've lost all these ships now they're all minbari crews go fight the aliens if oh that may look like an earth ship but it's all it's all aliens it makes it easier to shoot at I'm going to jump in and just say that I did laugh at that because in as much as it on the surface makes sense, it also seems like the most laughably easy thing to disprove. Such an extreme lie that like the other guy can just call you and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not dead. And, yeah, and, but and, and we... then you've just thrown like, oh, well shit, maybe what they're lying to me about other things too then. Well, I'm sure their deep fakes in, in this century are probably well, very, I was going to say. Yeah, that's the other thing. We have seen how well some lies persist regardless of reality yeah i want to i want to say that um there there are these things in sci-fi where like you know they they show these super advanced technologies that seem super far-fetched like you know replicators in star trek or jump gates and and then there are other things that they show or don't show that are very real not that much later and so like the fact that babylon 5 and trek and a lot of these other shows really never touch on things like deep fake technology is is just kind of a funny omission to me because it does seem like something that would just be an absolute nightmare to deal with i mean it probably mm -hmm. is right now but uh, especially in a show like b5 yeah ask the voters in new hampshire how they feel about uh deep fake phone calls and uh, robocalls yeah, they're a little miffed about those emily you got something before we the whole franklin and lita and how many of these telepaths in stasis did they bring in all of them how many are all of them? Did we ever get an official number? Because 37. Um, <laughs> they said there were dozens. Yeah. And then he was like, there's a lot. And we still don't know what lead is there to do them. Like, is it just her trying to manipulate all of them? What is happening? I need answers. And does Franklin about... look even more gray than the last episode? I kind of thought that too. It must have been a hell of a phone call with Sheridan when he got that <laughs> bad news yeah. about his marching orders. I'm like, it doesn't look bad or anything, but it just seems like this is a rapid change. <laughs> he, he did. He looked He looked like he aged the way Obama did after his, his term in office. Like <laughs> He is stressed the fuck out. I don't know what Sheridan told him, but I'm guessing it must be really bad. I, if I did his have hair is graying that much in like, I don't know, a week. I, I did have, I did also have questions about how they brought a bunch of telepath sickles across the galaxy to, to deliver them to Mars in these big cryo, cryo tubes when Marcus and Franklin had to sneak aboard a cargo ship and live in a hold for like two Didn't weeks. Didn't mention or that whatever. Mars Even... is otherwise occupied with Sheridan and all that jazz, that there, it's been easier to slip things in, but that still does like a lot. 
quite like, a big thing yeah. to slip in. Yeah. That's a pretty big hole because even Garibaldi had to be slipped through the blockade. Well, I'm sure where there's a will to slip something through a blockade, there is a way to do so. Round sure. runners. I say, look how well prohibition worked in the United States. <laughs> it worked phenomenally well. I don't know what you're talking about. Kevin. I just wanted to mention something about the episode title because I thought it was really interesting. GMS said that in the in the Atonement episode, Delenn talks about the most dangerous enemy being the one that you know nothing about. So JMS kind of flipped that on its head and he says that in this episode it was more like the enemy was wearing a mask and you don't figure it out until it's too late. I thought that was really cool because the episode title doesn't exactly, at least to me, it didn't scream out what exactly it was referring to. And I thought that was... I mean, there's more than one enemy throughout all this. You can look at Edgar's as an enemy. You can look at Sheridan's eyes. I'm sure Garibaldi's the enemy for turning him in. In Garibaldi's eyes, now Bester is the enemy. Like, there are a lot of faces to enemies in this episode. So I'm going to ask one specific question for our newbies, and you already touched on it a little bit. So Franklin and Lita show up with the popsicle telepaths. What is your prediction for what they're going to do with those? I said it last episode of my prediction. So Justin's be... already on the record. Yeah, I'm already on the record. I'll just reiterate it in case you're just joining us for the very first time, like four years into this mess. I think that they, Sheridan's going to sacrifice them as like some kind of like telepathic hackers to fuck with Mars and Earth computers to help them win the war. We're going to have a conversation if that happens about whether or not uh, John Sheridan is a war criminal. Jesse. Oh, but I don't think it's that. I'm not sure. I have zero idea, but like I said, in the last episode we were talking about that they you know he's gonna kill them all and scott said wait he's gonna push franklin to hurry up and find out a solution so just in order to kill them all and i said well yeah no that doesn't make any damn sense either so i have no idea i have no idea what they're doing with them he's just like i had no idea what was going on with garibaldi Garibaldi. i don't know what is happening today but Putting the wrong me. emphasis on the wrong syllable. It's, it's causing it's causing me some problems today. Um, I don't just like I didn't know what was going on with and Emily. I'm still not sure what they plan to do with these frozen telepaths. Whatever it is, I don't think it'll be good for them in the long run. And I don't think Sheridan's gonna end up looking good after he does whatever he does because Franklin seemed upset by it. I'm just not sure how exactly they plan to utilize them, but. I still have to question if there's hidden shadow ships somewhere, if they're hearing them. That's a good one, too. They left their minions behind. I wouldn't be surprised if they left some of their attack and their ships behind, too, for their little minions to utilize. Okay, so we've got that one. So let's go ahead and jump into our full questions and predictions after this episode from our newbies. Uh, For those that are just joining this show for the first time, again, welcome, or you've made some interesting life choices to land you here this evening. But we give all of our newbies a chance to ask their questions and predictions. We then proceed to either gaslight them or completely mislead them, throw them off the show, and make fun of them in a segment we call Beyond the Rim that Jesse is probably going to personally kill each and every one of us for later. So let's go ahead and go to Jesse for her questions and predictions this week. So I would like to know when we get to see Ivanova straight up um, thunder punch Garibaldi. At some point, need to see that. Um, but really, what what happens to Garibaldi next? Where does he go? I know we've talked about can he go back to Earth? He can't go back to B five. I my prediction is he does go back to B five. I would like to 
have this feel good ending and this is where you guys are going to make fun of me because I know that that's not that's not what is but I would like to see him get back into B5 get back into the role of the lead security person and get back into good graces with all the individuals that he's now spent the last season fucking over I'm sure that that is not easier said than done and I'm out and Justin my one question is Garibaldi gonna try and do something to save Sheridan because in my mind that's the only way he could possibly even try to make up for his mistakes with this whole thing is that if he's the one that goes in there and comes up with the plan to rescue Sheridan at some point he's gonna have to be saved I mean, I really don't think this is where they say, okay, goodbye, Sheridan, on to the next captain. Mackie, what you got? Sheridan's going to be saved somehow. I just question whether or not it's going to be Garibaldi kind of leading the charge. If Garibaldi just goes full-blown fucking Rambo and just does it himself somehow. So that was my question. Prediction, kind of piggybacking off of what Jesse was saying. Even if he were to somehow go back to Babylon 5 and be quote-unquote forgiven i don't see him going back into the security role they may accept him back on the station but things are never going to be the same it's like with londo nobody trusts him anymore nobody feels like they can turn their back on him i think that's going to be the stuff what garibaldi's going to have to live with even though we now know it wasn't his fault maybe lita will be able to kind of prove his point maybe lita will have to be able to step in and help out but I just don't see things going back to the way they were. And then I just can't wait to see the fleet pulling up on Earth with the White Star fleet and the Agamemnon at the head. That's just going to be, I think, a very fun and satisfying scene to watch. And Emily? So I don't really have any predictions, but I do have loads of questions. Let's go around. I still want to know why Edgar's almost seemed upset about his plan against the telepaths, because there did seem to be like that very brief moment near the end of his explanation where he seemed upset about it. And I kind of want to know if he was ever hurt by a telepath and that's why he actually seems to have like this personal vendetta against them. Like was a parent a telepath and he was manipulated by them? Like what is, is it solely about money or is there like some personal trauma and they're feeding into the greed as well? Where is Lise? Did she run off before Edgar's got killed? Was she there and captured? And if her husband left her and took their kid and she can't find them was he part of psych because we know they've done that before they like steal people's kids what is clark actually going to do with sheridan now that edgar's is dead because edgar's was using sheridan as a distraction is that going to impact clark's plans with him at all if edgar's won't be there to interfere or do anything or even care is delin gonna leave b5 to go save sheridan or does she stay on b5 because who else is left does lanier get b5 who's gonna take over beer <laughs> beer that'd be lanier and beer taking over b5 i you know what? i'd love to see it so what does garibaldi do now what's his first action does he go try to save lease does he try to find her or does he try to save sheridan because he doesn't really have any friends at this point, so that wouldn't really give him any help to create a plan to save Sheridan. So I'm wondering if his first goal will be to find her. And then if Lita joins Psychor again, how is she helping Franklin? Or did she leave Psychor again and now she's like gone rogue? How is this working out? Is Sheridan's father physically safe? Is he getting his medication that he needs to keep him alive? Are they actually feeding him and not torturing him? Is he obviously captured, but not otherwise severely harmed. This has been Gray 17 of Babylon 5 Podcast. 
this is again the section where we are going to kick all of these newbies out and Mike, Kevin, and I are going to discuss all of their questions and predictions, who's right, who's wrong, and who doesn't have a clue. Again, I have been Blake and with me has been Emily, Kevin, Dustin, Jesse, and Mike. And join us back next week where we will be discussing intersections in real time. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim, where we are going to discuss all of our newbies' questions and predictions. Again, for those who may be new, if you have not watched past Faces of the Enemy and do not want to get spoilers, this is the point where you should leave the show, because we are going to go through all of these questions and predictions, and there will be spoilers. So if you choose to stick around, don't come yell at us because of your decisions. So, our first question, when will we see Ivanova straight up thunder punch Garibaldi? Yes, I definitely want to see that too, but unfortunately, she does get pretty uh she does get pretty mad about it. He's finally able to convince everybody that he was uh not not at fault for the whole problem. I don't think the two actually have another scene together. Really? Because when Ivanova leads the fleet towards Earth, she gets in that battle where the White Star's damaged and she's fatally wounded. Sheridan is back, but Garibaldi's still on Mars to help with that operation. I don't think the two actually, with the exception of Deconstruction of Falling Stars, which was already filmed, I don't think the two actually have another scene together in the series at this point. Yeah, because we've got intersections in real time and between the darkness and the light before Endgame. What's Rising Star about? Yeah, because that's Garibaldi goes and rescues oh. Lisa in that one. So again, okay. I don't think the two actually have a scene together. All right, that's that's when um, Ivanova is curled up in Med Lab after, mm-hmm. yeah. After the unfortunateness, which we won't speak of, because I don't know if I can emotionally handle it yet. We'll see. Oh, I'm still bringing up your little uh, snafu oh, from the Claudia you. interview with our newbies. I've been fuck. waiting three goddamn seasons for that. You are not bringing that up, or I quit, oh, yes. sir. I'm just <laughs> oh, yes, I am. What happens to Garibaldi? What does Garibaldi do now? And does he go off to save Lise or save Sheridan? Are we are we allowing questions as vague as what happens to somebody? That's a little. <laughs> Yeah, that needs to be a little more descriptive. Sweep that one under the rug. Things Uh, happen. Yeah, well, he he goes off to save Lise and then immediately is trying to save Sheridan. It doesn't take him real long to find Lise. Mm -hmm. He'll he'll get Sheridan first, and then with the help of the Rangers, we'll go uh, rescue Lise. 
Oh, is that in the wrong driving in the wrong order? Yeah, because uh, they will free Sheridan um, in uh, between the darkness and the light. Okay, and it's not until uh, Rising Star that they free Garrett that they that he goes and gets Lease, and he uses the Ranger to help him do it. When that group tries, there's a group that tries to uh, ransom her. Well, you're right because Lease isn't even in intersections in real time. And and he takes the Angla shock and you know a little shock and on rescues uh Lise. Yeah. So was Edgar's wronged by a telepath or does he have a telepath that is close to him? Perhaps Mister Edgar's needs to show us on the doll where the telepath hurt him. Oh boy. Well, yeah, I don't think we of, ever get an answer to that. No. A lot of a lot of reaching here. <laughs> Some fun ideas, but nothing that's uh, confirmed. I I don't know. It, it, he didn't give me that vibe. Um, he just. He's not willing to give over control to, like he literally said word for word, a wor- a, a ruling class of telepaths. And given that yeah. there is going to be a telepath war at some point, and given the fact that Psychor is extremely dangerous, like I said during the episode, it's not totally without, you know, understanding him being afraid of them. The act is his solution, and I'm calling it that for a reason, is unconscionable. So was Lisa's son telepathic? Again, we, we get nothing to even hint at yeah. that. So where Emily it, comes up with some of these, I don't I mean, know. The, the, yeah, like the newbies seem to be, well, Emily, seems to be grasping at straws <laughs> here as far as like, yes, he showed a little bit of emotion and remorse about the horrible thing that he knew he was about to do. That's just what it is. Like he's, every every character in the show is well-written because they're bad guys who don't think they're, they're bad guys. They, they're good guys. And they think they're doing, they're taking a, they're falling on their sword to do the, the thing that, needs to be done yeah i mean he's a bad guy but he's not a sadist like, not a monster yeah he he wouldn't have somebody in a room and just hurt them because he felt like it not not a monster or at least he's aware that he's being the monster all so, right so yeah trying trying to to connect the thing with lisa's son is just a reach yeah. to try to further explain which is zero percent hinted at in yeah. the show i mean honestly it's they needed to bring lisa back into the show and do away with she had a husband she had a husband and a kid earlier now she doesn't will this affect clark's plan with edgar's dead clark's not going to have much of a chance for anything of his plans to come to fruition yeah scorched earth gun to the head that's going to end pretty damn quick yep does delenn go off to save sheridan no, she does not. Yeah, because they don't get reunited till Rising Star when it's uh, on Earth. Right. She will bring the fleet, though. She will bring the League of Non-Aligned Worlds with her. Right. Uh, because they help take out the orbital weapons platforms. Yes, which Clark was so interested in, uh, you know, the, the murder-suicide pact with the entire planet. Real real sweetheart, that guy. Wonderful guy. Not, not, not unlike Cartesia. Yeah. Or a certain orange one that wants to end NATO. Oh, I knew you were going to go there. Not wrong. (laughs) If you didn't, I was going to. Um, Is Lita going to rejoin? If Lita rejoins Psychor, how is she helping Franklin with the frozen telepaths? Well, she's 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 Psychor adjacent. Ask. (laughs) She's not really back with Psychor. She's just off the rogue list. And she has to play by their rules, but she's not truly Psychor. They mention that. You can forget because she's wearing the gloves and she's doing the the Psychor bit, but she's not really Psychor. Yeah, she's yeah. she's back to doing commercial work, not deep state shadow government work. Well, officially. Yeah. <laughs> Showing up with the Mars resistance might be a little bit off the commercial telepath role. 
Is Sheridan's father physically safe and is he getting his meds? I don't remember any references to David Sheridan after this. Do you? He is in Rising Star. Okay. Because when they all get reunited on Earth and uh, Flata tells John, you know, they tried to start treating me real good when you showed up here. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like once it's, they realized that they were fucked, they got really nice. It's the mom that they really don't even reference. Yeah. That's right. Other than a quick, uh, David says they never got to his mother. Yeah, right. But, so let's do our predictions here. The frozen telepaths are used to be telepathic hackers. Justin is fucking cheating. <laughs> Nailed yeah. it. Yeah, we we said the last Beyond the Rim too. I mean, he just couldn't have gotten it more right. That's exact. But all of the evidence is there. Yeah. Hidden shadow ships to be used with the telepaths against the Earth fleet. Emily is convinced the shadows left some ships behind. <laughs> yeah, well, which is another interesting theory. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. No, I was going to say the same thing. It is an interesting theory. Well, it doesn't happen to be correct. Yeah, and it doesn't. I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense because it's not like the shadows, like they left of their own volition to go follow the first one. It's not like they were like, we're going to leave, but we have any loyalty to our followers back here. And we're going to like, they don't have any stake in what happens. So they don't, they wouldn't have left anything to live anybody. Right. Well, and they don't they care. even <laughs> triggered Zaha Doom to explode when right. they went and checked. So yeah, we're going to find their shadow tech around. I would even argue that it'd say that this virus that Edgar's came up with had to have some shadow influence behind it. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. For the genetic targeting of it. And we'll even see that later with the Drock plague that they were working on. We'll see that the shadows have done this type of bioengineering, but they destroyed Zaha Doom to keep their stuff from getting into enemy hands, even though they had left. So I could easily see that they have no capital ships or anything like that left. It's going to be just remnant tech here and there. Plus, how easily would they have been able to figure out their tech? Probably not. And most importantly, if Sheridan is worried about the optics of having Bari or even just non-humans running the fleet, I don't think he's going to be real wild about bringing shadow ships into the mix. Well, and we are going to see Earth figured it out a little bit because we've got those uh, super star destroyers that are going to be coming up that have the shadowy black webbing and stuff around you know, it shadow type weapons i i just reread this question and that, and that the assertion was that it's sheridan and the non-aligned worlds that would be using shadow tech i that that is so bonkers because <laughs> <laughs> yeah earth has it because you're we're gonna see yeah. those the black uh what is it the omega class star destroyers yeah, which you bring up a good point. If the assertion, it made more sense. I I thought the assertion was that Earth was going to roll out the shadow ships that had been left for them to play with, which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense either when they have such an anti-alien mm-hmm. right. agenda. And then they're like, oh well, these guys are. But you know, and then like these the Omega destroyers come out that are all clearly shadowed up. But I mean, obviously, I don't think those were meant to be seen by anybody either. <laughs> So we have two Garibaldi predictions here. One is he goes back to B5, everything's cool, and he becomes security chief again. And one is, no, he won't, and things won't go back to the way they were. There's a little bit of both here. So Garibaldi does kind of get back in with the command staff and the crew, but he won't be security chief again. He becomes the uh, chief, what is it, chief of intelligence for the Interstellar Alliance. Yeah. That'll be coming in season five. You know, and... Scott made reference at one point to, you know, things are never truly the same between Sheridan and Garibaldi again. I I don't 
I don't remember things being particularly tense, um, you know, in season five between the two of them. And and to the extent that anything was, it was over the stress of the new interstellar alliance. I don't remember things being super strained between the two of them, but I'm perhaps I'm not remembering correctly. It does because I remember Garibaldi starts drinking again in season five. Oh, well, and, and right, there's some until... issues that come from that, that cause understood. Him with but him that, and sheridan right understood but i don't that has more to do with his drinking doesn't it than than it, it does this. yeah it's not so much a holdover from this but it is a different dynamic between the two of them okay come season five we we do not really see other than a brief start to season five we don't see them with that same tight relationship like they had earlier in season three okay well and I mean, I was going to say that I, I don't know that I've ever felt like Sheridan and Garibaldi best friends forever. Not definitely not the way Sinclair and Garibaldi. Right. They've always had a much more professional level relationship. Yeah, I think I think there's truth there, too, for sure, that they weren't they weren't playing pool on a Saturday night in the in the uh, officer's lounge. But at the same time, they uh, they trusted each other and. To the extent that I don't think that that trust has been completely obliterated by the end of this season. And the evidence for that, I would say, is the fact that Garibaldi becomes a head of intelligence. I mean, would he have put somebody in that particular position if he didn't feel like he could trust no, him? Or any position, yeah. Right. He's, he's, he's given a seat at the table again, basically. Right. Okay, then we have Sheridan will be saved and Garibaldi will be the one to do it. He will be there uh, with uh, Lita and Franklin. Right. Because that, And that's actually how he gets back in because it's, I don't think Buster knows that Lita's on Mars uh, or Franklin for that matter. So when Garibaldi gets captured by the resistance and gets put before Franklin and Lita, that's the only thing that saves his ass. Otherwise they probably would have killed him. Right. Um, but he basically begs Lita to scan him and Lita vouches that, yeah, Buster fucked him up. Yeah, on a deep scan that could have easily uh, caused uh, Garibaldi's uh, end, or at least, uh, you know, some brain damage or something else. But yeah, it, that's right. I mean, Lita's the only one that could. So yet again, Justin's got uh, got the right answer. Well, and you, and you brought up a good point. We, we actually did <laughs> kind of kind of gloss over i guess we didn't have much of a discussion about that lead us in the first half of the episode but i think that that's actually a good point you just brought up kevin and the fact that, that scan could have could have killed garibaldi later on and we kind of got the i don't know the backstory the foreshadowing to that right. potential consequence in this episode so once again it's like these hidden details like that scene was was not for nothing it had several purpose in this episode right it's just going to take a while for it to come full circle for people to understand the the reason behind it like you're saying yeah gms doesn't do a ton of uh exhibition for no reason whatsoever usually he's he's writing with purpose and our last one is the rebel fleet showing up at earth will be satisfying <laughs> well it would have been except that uh clark is a complete and total monster it has a good ending I would say, you know, I think it is kind of when they jump in because you've got that line from Sheridan um, about we're we're here to place President Clark under arrest. Yeah, you just jump in. You basically got him going. Yeah, fuck you. We're done. Yeah, it's just the whole the whole the whole thing is also overshadowed by the awfulness that is Ivanova leaving the show, 
and Marcus sacrificing himself for her, and then for nothing. Yeah, I was going to say, to determine what's satisfying and what's not, I'm just, I would say your mileage will vary. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, I found the full quote from when they jump in about, this is not the voice of treason, these are your sons, your daughters, whose loyalties have never wavered, whose belief in this alliance has forced us to take extreme means for justice, for peace, for the future, we have come home. You know, when the when the fleet shows up and has that message, I, I yeah. love that bit. Okay, I'm sure it will be very satisfying, but oh, losing Marcus is tough. And then losing Ivanova is even worse. So do we have anything else we want to cover on this week's episode? The only other thought that, uh, that occurred to me as we were doing questions, it really is a comment that belonged in the first half of the episode. Really appreciated as Bester is debriefing Garibaldi in the tube, and he learns about Eggers' plot. That, that even Bester is like, holy crap, the scope of their plan is surprising. The fact that they were going to wipe out every telepath, like that was, it was way bigger than even he thought. And I was like, that's, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool to see like the bad guys admit a moment of like, well, we, we almost ate it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bester is a different type of bad guy. Not just that he's not totally bad, even though he's mostly bad. But the fact that he has the clearest of agendas and it's borne out anytime he talks about his telepaths and air quotes because mm -hmm. he sees every telepath as being his with with him as the the true and rightful leader of the telepath movement, which is interesting to me that somewhat lower level Psychop could imagine himself to be the the leader of all of them, but delusions of grandeur, I guess yeah that's that's a good point like he's he's really thinking himself much bigger than in reality he he really is you know he's and and likewise yeah i just I guess a better way to say it was just the fact that he was seemingly impressed by the scope of his enemy's yeah. plan yeah and we talked about that earlier in the in the series that the the newbies kind of perceived him as a lot more powerful than he actually is because that was really all they knew of the psychor for echelon of any of any sort but he's a cog he's not he's not the motor all right i think that is gonna end it for us here this evening again make sure to check us out next week as we continue our journey through season four of babylon five and if you've liked this show, make sure to give us a like and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Or if you are watching this on the YouTube, make sure to follow us and click notifications so that you know when we put out new episodes. Or we occasionally do live broadcasts, which trust me, you do not want to miss what we do on those. So again, I have been Blake and with me has been... Kevin. And Mike. Peace out. What's going on? You all look like a pock just ate your cat.